Welcome to Dare to Know, interviews with quality and reliability thought leaders. I'm Fred Shankelberg, the host of today's RAM special episode. While attending the Reliability and Maintainability Symposium in 2016 in Tucson, Arizona, I had the chance to sit down and talk with Jim McLinn. Jim is a long advocate of reliability practices and has written and presented extensively around the world and in various conferences and seminars and workshops. He's also been involved with many organizations as they founded and or improved their reliability programs. He's worked extensively in predictions and leading FMEA teams, running, designing and running ALT, the Accelerated Life Testing, and HALT Testing. Plus, he's also worked in a volunteer role as the chair of the ASQ's Reliability Division and as a IEEE Reliability Society Administration Committee member. He's published, he's uh, authoritative, and he's also a tireless worker to help others improve their performance as a reliability professional. Please join me as Jim and I sit down while at the conference to discuss his work and his um, uh, contributions to the world of reliability engineering. So Jim, thanks for joining us on Dare to Know. Fred, I'm happy to be here. I always wanted to share some of the things I've learned over my career, and uh, it looks like a nice format for it. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. And, and you've been pretty generous in sharing and making things happen for, I won't say how long, but I've seen some papers from a while ago. <laughs> you've been publishing and, and instigating and, uh, and, and helping people also publish. I know you've talked me into presenting at conferences over the years, and appreciate that because it's a little cattle prod at some points, but that's good. Yes, uh, my earliest paper I think was written in stone. I had to carve it with a hammer and chisel. No, no that's I know that's is. not true. That, we know that's not true. <laughs> okay. Well, it was about the reliability of this newfangled thing called the wheel, the stone <laughs> wheel. Okay. <laughs> no, that. Uh, but one of the thoughts I had for you though is that. And you have been publishing and active in, in conferences and in journals and, and, and all kinds of things for quite a while. And, but how is it, is, has it changed at all? Is, is the nature, because I remember 20, 30 years ago, it was more military-based. And, 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 and back in the 70s, 80s, it was almost all mil-spec type stuff. Rams was much, much larger. And not that I attended back then. But the... The, how's that changed? And I know you've been involved with ASQ for years and years too, so you've got a number of different perspectives on that. Well, let me give you a short history. I uh, went to college at the University of Michigan from 1966 to 1970. Then I went to. Then got a degree in physics, but I was interested in other fields. I've always been interested, so I took every course I could take. It had nothing to do with what I was studying, so I could become more well-rounded. Then in 70, I went to the University of Minnesota for graduate school and continued on that and got a, eventually got a master's degree in solid-state physics along the way. So this is in the early 70s? Early 70s. Very, they uh, just invented solid-state Well, solid-state has been around a lot longer, but it, it was a fortuitous coincidence that I decided to go into solid-state because... Semiconductors were starting to become important. There were 
more than transistors. There are ICs now. There are very small ICs. There are 1K memories. I can remember a 1K. What would you smaller. ever do with all that? Yeah, <laughs> exactly. And uh, so I, uh, when I graduated, I fell into the reliability profession. So, so you were a physics major and in, in, in solid-state physics. Yes. And um, so you took a, a left or right turn? or Actually not. <laughs> Didn't take a turn. Uh, and this is how that worked out. I was, Back in the old days, they had newspapers, and they had yeah. one ads in there. So I, and when I was getting out of school, I grabbed a Sunday newspaper to look for job openings, and I found one. wanted somebody with a background in physics to work for this computer company called Control Data Corporation. They no longer exist, but they were once big. Yeah, I remember I, that name. IBM. Yeah. So I applied for it and ended up getting the job. My only interview. Uh, I don't know how many people they interviewed, but that was my only interview. One, one interview, and they hired me. And what they wanted me to do was take my background in physics and apply it to the problems they were having uh, with semiconductors. Right. So my very first job was as a reliability engineer. I couldn't even spell it then. I still can't spell it, to tell you the truth. <laughs> but but uh, there were engineers there, all of whom had no background in it, but the practical experience they got on the job. And they were very helpful to me. Um, my first boss was a guy named Larry Sly, and uh, we la I see him now and again, we laugh about that. Uh, I convinced him to hire me, what a joke. <laughs> but I used my background knowledge and helped control data work their semiconductor problems, and more than semiconductors, because it was all components. So was it really weight? Finding failures, or were there just plenty of failures to go work on? And plenty of failures. The object was finding solutions so right, that things right. wouldn't fail. And uh, so I worked primarily at the component level uh, more than anything else because the big, biggest experiences back then were components come in the door and they they pull a sample, and run them through receiving inspection, and check them to see if they meet their specs. Mm -hmm. A number. A large fraction of samples did not meet their own specs because the suppliers were running uh, sampling inspection on the outgoing, too. So there's a, a slight chance that they would accept a bad lot and ship it to us, and there's a slight chance that we would inadvertently accept a bad lot, and then it would cause us problems. Awful lot of problems in what we call now early life. Right. Uh, first test, put them on assembly, first test, things didn't work right. They didn't work at all. They didn't work right. Uh, it was quite typical to fi see five or seven percent fallout wow, right. uh, from a lot of components. And this is pretty early. Is was it much of a mass-produced type product you were working on, or was this mass-produced? Yeah. Yes, and that's how bad they were in shoddy. So I, one of the things I did was flew back and forth to Silicon Valley a lot. Spent a lot of time flying into San Jose visiting IC manufacturers: Intel, AMD, Fairchild, National. Most of those still exist. Some of those companies have gone. A lot of other companies, Moss Tech and other companies, are long gone. Huge semiconductor. Yeah. I won't talk about those. They're interesting problems I experienced, and some of which I solved, and it was very nice. And, uh, CDC was very ha happy with that. Uh, I made good progress and started to climb the engineering ladder. But you were kind of dumped into the deep, deep end of the pool as a reliability engineer. It was you know, just so... But you could build on the physics and the basic understanding of materials and how things should work. And then it's an engineering problem to solve it. 
but it sounds like did, in your education did you have the process control and and all that kind of stuff too or is that all been I learned all that stuff on the fly on on a job process control the biggest education I had was other engineers when I wouldn't know something I could go ask someone did you have a big group of well we had a group of about four or five reliability engineers, and our whole focus was the in-process part of it. Mm -hmm. We also had a group of reliability, separate group of reliability engineers that dealt with the uh, predictions and the military paperwork, because the CDC made computers for the military. Okay. Uh, most applications were military, Air Force, Army, uh, Navy, and Marines, and some space program ones. Um, but they also had a group called component engineering. They were the experts on components. I spent most of my time with them when I was working outside the group, because they could tell me how the component was supposed to work, how it was built, and with that, we often traveled to su problem suppliers working mm -hmm. the problems. And so I worked with the quality people, I worked with the engineering people, I worked with the, uh, procurement and production early in my career, and I had a whole series of good guides, and today you call them mentors, right. and they helped mentor me and really get me through that learning process. They're very generous with their time and efforts, and I never forgot that. Well, that comes through, though, Jim. I mean, you, you continue to provide the mentoring back. You're also curious. You're, you're willing to learn all the time. I don't. I think that's just the character of, of you inherent is the curiosity and learning. But I'm serious. You've been very, very generous on the mentoring side, and I know I've learned a lot from you. I, I won't forgive you for getting me involved with different societies and committees and all that stuff, but it it actually created a whole lot of opportunities, though, and, and chances to learn. But yes, um, that was character flaw. Curious. <laughs> As a kid, I used to want to take things apart and understand how things work. That's probably why I went into physics. Mostly, I couldn't put them back together. But uh, that, that's life. That's probably <laughs> Did the exploration. Did your parents buy you secondhand uh, appliances? And, and, and no, they never let me touch their stuff. <laughs> their appliances, but other things I would. And uh, but that carried on into the my early career. Uh, I think because I worked as a reliability engineer for CDC. I spent about four years there, and I really enjoyed it. But it's not what I wanted to do. I got so far, and not what I wanted to do. So I looked around and found. Another job of the company, uh, Honeywell, one of the divisions of Honeywell. So I took my experience with reliability and components and used that and uh, worked in their component group, which helped broaden me a lot more and gave me uh, better. And I worked then worked with reliability and other engineering groups and manufacturing, and that continued on that way. Again, I had people who helped me. We call, recognize them as mentors. There were fewer, probably because I needed less help. Mm -hmm. I had some experience behind me, but they were always there. And even the people I'd worked with before, I uh, kept in touch with. Now, these mentors primarily in the company, were they, you know, senior folks in your own company? or They weren't were senior. They, they were senior engineers, but not senior in management. Right, right. Um, Though management people helped me uh, uh, all along the way. One of them got me into ASQ back in 1978, said, you know, there's this, you're asking lots of questions about process control and things and you don't know about. You ought to uh, go investigate it. Well, it wasn't called ASQ then, I don't know. It was think. ASQC. That's yeah, right. Way back then. And so I went and joined and went to a couple meetings and started doing the process service and the statistical side of how to make things consistently, mm -hmm, which mm -hmm. is what we want in reliability. 
didn't realize it at the time, but I was putting some tools together uh, so I can better understand the fuller picture. We do that now with Six Sigma and Lean and other tools, and it's a natural, but it wasn't then mm -hmm, uh, mm -hmm. when I started it. So I joined ASQ, got involved, as I often do, to my detriment sometimes, to my <laughs> betterment other times, and got involved with a local uh, a Minnesota ASQ chapter because I was living in Minnesota then. Worked my way up the ranks there and became chapter chair uh, one year. Um, I think more than once, if I remember right. Well, chapter chair of a ASQ. And then I'd worked with other engineers. Section one of, chair, right? Is that what you mean? Yeah, section, section chair. chair. Yep. And uh, same way, and I started looking at, so I went to Reliability Physics Symposium and a few other conferences, which helped. Saw some classic papers at uh, people recognize now uh, in the 70s that, oh, th that was a classic paper and that was a good piece of work. Right. right. That, uh, that fundamental to some of the reliability things we do. And then I started meeting reliability engineers, some of these, one of whom was introduced to me by a guy named Everett Dale. Uh, Everett uh, died a few years, years ago, but he was a helpful mentor to me through all my career, even into the 90s um, when I was a consultant. Mm -hmm. He introduced me to Deborah Heesher at oh, a yeah. conference. I remember that one very well. It was 1984. Dev is that same type of person who helps mentors, and he took me under his wing and helped me, and I see him occasionally mm -hmm. at conferences. Um, I These activities weren't lost on me because I realized one needs to do that as you progress in your career. And it was, ended up doing two things. From my work with ASQ, I learned most important, get people together that have common needs and wants or have the resources to fill somebody's needs. Mm -hmm. So I'm always, when I go to conferences, I introduce people to each other. You never know what happens. That's right. That's very true. And it's, it's the parallel, like in a local community, the business leaders have the Chamber of Commerce and they have breakfast together and chat about issues or have presentations. As reliability engineers, the professional societies often play that role, but we're more divert, we're spread out. So in some areas, like in, in the Minneapolis-St. Paul area, you had enough people there to pull a chapter together. We did. Um, at that time, only the military had multiple reliability engineers. Most companies, if they had one at all, who was had a title of reliability, was a single engineer in the company. And or so it was you, a quality engineer that had those roles, or it was whatever. Yeah, more often, yes. They was they had the two hats: the quality and the reliability hat. And they didn't have someone to interface with find solutions and problems, uh, help find solutions to problems, and get tools. It, it was very haphazard, so it was good to introduce people to each other. They had common problems, and that developed some friendships, and uh, people moved around in companies because of that. And it was very nice to see. This accelerated when I started doing training classes. All of a sudden, I meet hundreds of people a year. Mm -hmm. And so introduce them to each other, send them uh, deal with their issues. And so I, I tried to, especially at conferences, get divergent people together because I always had common problems. Divergent being divergent backgrounds and in industries. Right, so a medical problems. device person with a DOD person. Completely different products, end of the spectrum, different constraints, same yeah. question. Same process problems, same supplier problems. Yeah, it might even be the same supplier. Yes, it could be. I, I did that once. I can tell this story now. I had a critical supplier. I was working in a pacemaker company at the time. 
and a critical supplier, I, I can't identify it, but we got inconsistent lots. I'd come up with a test to sort the lots so when they got to the door, we'd accept and reject them because we knew they were important to us. But other people were using the same material. And I, so one day I said to two other guys who were using the same material from the same supplier, why don't you call the supplier because you've had these problems. I said, pick a date. I gave them the date. Call the supplier with a complaint. So they each did. And I said, and I will call the supplier the next day with the same complaint. So now it's an escalation. It's a major yes. problem. <laughs> and when I did, you know what the supplier told me? Nobody else complains about that. <laughs> when I know two very well <laughs> the day before, two people had called them That's right. with the same complaint. <laughs> so I, I was, uh, by then, uh, no longer a junior engineer. I knew what, what I was hearing. That was a marketing statement of, we don't want to talk about it. Um, but if we can get, delay it and put you off, we'll delay it long enough. So Yes. I had solved the problem, and I knew how to prevent uh, bad lots from getting into our production. And that's something I, I, to this day, keep telling people, because the material is still around, still has some of the same problems. It's never gone away, and it's lots of lot variability and, uh, and some characteristics which can be important. Yeah, yeah. The, let me go back to uh, a little bit of history. Uh, 1986 came along, and I was working for somebody, a company that, packed up and left the state. They felt they could no longer be competitive in Minnesota. So I looked around for a job. But what it is I want to do, because I've, I've done some quality, I've done a lot of reliability, I kind of like the reliability more, because I've been away from it for a few years, uh, for a while, and got back to it. And I, a friend of mine called me up, one of the people I worked with, the reliability guy, mm -hmm. said, I'm setting up a department in company so-and-so, I need some help you got three months of time, come help me do that. I said, okay. So I started as a contract. And then when that contract was over, I started looking around for something else. I thought, I kind of like this. I'm my own boss. I don't, okay. other than working with one, I don't have to. And I found another one. Got hired as a contract engineer at a second company. And that had serious implications for my future. I went in, uh, the company was a leader in the, their industry, but they had a new product that was coming out of Japan. It was very failure prone. And I spent three months with them and helped them clean it up. By the time they were done with it and released, it was the best product they'd ever had right. and made, made a huge impact in the market. Right. This company had no reliability engineers, so a quality manager hired me. Uh, five years later, the quality manager became my wife. Oh. <laughs> That's why I said it had serious oh, implications. <laughs> we met on the job. Though nothing of anything right, going right. on at that point, uh, but rather, I signed her up for ASQ. She said, "You're the quality manager. You should be involved with them, and learn things." And so I'd see her occasionally in meetings. And well, it's your nature to connect people and, and yes. make connections and put people together. And, and I think there was another motive there. You wanted to talk to her some more, maybe. No, I <laughs> no, no. No, at the time <laughs> we first met, we were married to other people. Oh, okay. And uh, it only be. Some years later, some years later, time did passes. That, did that happen? But yeah, and it was wonderful. Uh, we were married for 22 years, uh, and uh, a great partner because I could talk anything technical to her. Um, she fly things off of having your own home mentor, and That's we right. did. Yeah. And uh, I'd write papers, and uh, she'd fix them for me. 
<laughs> so they were well, I, reasonable, I, coherent papers. Well, I knew you two, you know, together, and I saw you at conferences and other places, and you came visited us. So I, I know the, the chemistry you had. So I'm, I'm sorry for your loss. I know I've said that before, but um, you know, things move on, and that's a hard mentor to replace. It was, and I, I have not. So, but uh, move on. You asked about papers earlier. I yeah, wrote, I know you've. Uh, I, how many papers? Are you up with Wayne Nelson? Are you guys in competition? Oh, no, no. <laughs> uh, I wrote four papers when I was in uh, grad school. Okay. Uh, they were published in the Astrophysical Journal, uh, Astrophysical Journal, and Astrophysical Journal Letters. Wow. And uh, they had to do. With, I was working on astronomy mm -hmm. at, at the time, uh, infrared astronomy. So I got four papers published, and that was the start of it. Because when I got out, I wasn't afraid to write a paper. I wasn't a very good writer mm -hmm. in the technical style at that point. But uh, you know, four or five years after I got out, I started writing papers and submitting them mm -hmm. uh, to journals and conferences. And so by the time I became a consultant in 80s, 1986, um, that was one way to broadcast your existence. So I started sending out papers to get my name out there and started doing training classes. Continued writing papers, my ability to write got better. Right. Uh, it's amazing that you can yeah. practice that and get better at it. Oh, you can. If you learn a little bit and uh, you have a, the focus. Um, and so I've written in the reliability field. You'd recognize papers from about 1986 on. Mm -hmm. And I have copies of all those. I have a list. Like a, if you're Mike Wayne does have a list too. So. And I have a list of all the papers and training classes I've done. Uh, 115. Can we get that for the show notes? Just oh. that listing? Because it's just references. People could find those papers online or wherever they are. Uh, mostly you can't because this is in the days before anything was online. Oh, this, well, I mean, is the, were the papers, papers published in journals that a library Some of them were have? published in journals, some in other places. Uh, some of them I've lost. I, I couldn't reproduce them if I wanted to. I've kept old copies of computers because I was doing uh, back on computers, but Files change; uh, they're no longer. You don't. Compatible. You can't read your floppy drives anymore. Can't read those floppy drives anymore. Those eight-inch drives, no. No. And no. even the four and a quarters. <laughs> I've got some of those with uh, old versions of Word and other things. That no one can read anymore. That's right. That's right. Um, I'm sure the the CIA, not CIA, the was it. The ones that read in NSA, they read in all our email anyway, so yes. ask but, them for their backup copy. But I, I guess I wouldn't want most people to read some of those older papers. They weren't that good. <laughs> I have hard copy. I used to keep a list of everything. Which but I, you also got involved with the reliability division at ASQ, and they had the, uh, was it, what was the reliability, the journal, that, or the newsletter? Yeah. Dever got me going on that. Uh, and so I started to come in to conferences like RAMS. Uh, First Rams I attended was in '86 in Atlanta. I met, saw Dev, met Patrick O'Connor, among others, and uh, continued on. Uh, then I st started getting more involved in reliability. Dev, similarly, drew me and said, "Well, we need some volunteers. Just do a little stuff." A couple years I later, I remember that line from you actually. So you, that's you, where you I learned, learned it, it from. The, that's where you learned it. <laughs> that's where I learned it. Blame Dev. Okay. And. Uh, uh, so I, I worked my way up the offices and was uh, the reliability division chair in 95. Now that one you did do more than once. Yes. Yes. And then I came back and redid it in 2010 or 11 uh, because there was a need for someone to step in and uh, it helped solve some problems. So uh, I 
I'm the only person that served the two, twice as chair of the reliability division uh, at separate times. Great. Not back to back or, you know, anything like that. Yeah. But they call I mean, me the Grover Cleveland of uh, reliability. <laughs> the, the, one of the, you know, one of the thoughts of the professional societies, I mean, we're at a Rams conference and you can hear the background noise that's in here. But it's people that are at the conference and they're comparing notes and sharing and stuff. It goes back to putting people together. And yes. conference is a great way to do that. Yeah, every time I go to an event, such as a speaker's reception or general reception, I'd find people, pull them together and say, you know, so-and-so. And, uh, in fact, for a couple of years, that's all I did was drag people together mm -hmm. and introduce them and uh, walk walk away a minute later with them do it on their own so they they had to talk to each other mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and that uh, started some interesting relationships of, of people yeah right. uh, because I think that's part of mentoring to me mentoring is twofold one helping people find the resources they need to be successful that's mm -hmm. the bringing people together and sometimes it's a one-on-one -on -one relationship one recognizes that as simple mentoring of helping solve problems people solve problems or find solutions. I often need. think of mentoring as, as the, somebody that helps you in your career progression. Yes. You know, and, and yeah. That kind of part. So that's part of what you're talking about. Yes, and I've done that as well. That's the non-technical side of mentoring is helping with the career and the strategy. And I've done that with people uh, as well. In fact, we had a foreign engineer one time asked me, how can I be successful in the U.S.? What do I have to do? So I sat down and gave him the whole mentoring uh, talk about how to be successful because he's coming from another culture. He has to get uh, used to the way things might be done in a specific Just the cultural differences culture. and Some cultural part, yeah. differences, some speech issues, some uh, others have done that, and uh, it's been fun. I even mentored some of these poor foreigners. They come to the U.S., they're 27 years old, they've got an advanced degree, and they don't know how to talk to women. <laughs> I've mentored people on that as well, the whole bar scene. <laughs> or if you don't like the bar scene, the, the others. How do you talk to people? The key, of course, is ask an interesting question that requires a response and listen. Shut up and listen. Yeah, that's, one of the that's an acquired skill for many people. Is the the listen part? It's not it's not time to reload. It's time to listen. Yes, it's very true. So, so how does this all change, though? As the internet's come online, more online interactions and email and Facebook and chat and all oh these yes. other things. All those things have changed because in the past everything was done by telephone or uh, when fax came letters. around, uh, fax and then letters. When the internet started to become big, I started using it about '92 uh, for communication be between engineers, yes, and we could mass mail stuff. I was involved with some small groups. So you could send on a mailing list of 10. Yeah. And but you could ask 10 people simultaneously. Yeah. Yes. And that was wonderful. And then um, one of the things I did uh, in the 90s, mid-90s, was we used to have a reliability society chapter in the Twin Cities. I, When I first got out of school, I, the old engineers would take me to the meetings. And... and uh, it did for a couple of years, and it kind of died. Then it was resurrected in the 80s, and it died. One of my commitments was, I'm going to rebuild that group because it was so valuable to me and others. So I, I found a few friends and said, okay, let's build it. 
this is what we'll do. I organized a bunch of people. We found 10 signatures and applied to the IEEE for reinstatement of the Reliability Society chapter. It was in uh, the spring of 95. We had the first meeting in the, uh, September of 95. And I got a bunch of diversion people together, and we started it. So now you're doing this matching up people at a grand scale. You've, yes. you've, you've exp you know, grown that process. And I continued that process. Uh, and so I served as officers for that, and a lot of secretary, treasurer, chapter chair, other things. And I got other people to get involved and do all those offices as well. Because if you want to have a viable group, you've got to rotate positions and rotate people in and out. Because mm -hmm. not everyone, I was a consultant and uh, I could devote more time than most people could to it. So I would do all the things in the background that they couldn't easily do right. uh, if, while they were working or families. My family was gone by then and uh, I wasn't working for anybody other than myself. So I could. Right, you had a little bit of extra time. Yeah. At which I used, and um, that chapter still is going. And uh, I left it a couple of years ago when I moved uh, from Minnesota to Arizona, but they're still viable. I, I get through emails. Yeah. I usually send them a note saying, I don't think I can attend that meeting, <laughs> but it sounds really interesting. But keep me on the list. Yeah. Keep I mean, me on the list, absolutely. Many of those people are now running that chapter. I either met as young engineers, some of whom I've mentored, or I, I drew them into the chapter. And they found it uh, very useful and helpful because, again, um, you bring people together, give them the opportunity to talk to each other, and maybe they need a little push, and it's it's better for everyone. So we have a viable chapter, and we have people who have resources they can go find. Right, right. Yeah, and it's, there's, I mean, there's many, many benefits to the, the mentoring relationship, and it sounds like you've had some wonderful people throughout your career. And you've been very, very gracious in providing help and support and well, all kinds of stuff. I think you phrased it nicely, Fred, that uh, because I've had wonderful people, I recognize what it took to help others be successful. Mm -hmm. uh, it's, I naturally fit with that, so I just do it. And uh, Well, good for you. All right. So if, if people want to get in touch with you, or maybe, I don't know, I shouldn't put an offer out there for you to go mentor folks, but I'm sure you're open to if somebody has a question or is interested in some of your papers or yes. in work and so on. Put it out there. All right, it's the, the, the McLinn, that's the AOL. Yeah, I'll give you an email give address an email and a phone and number in just a minute on here, but I've always, when I did training classes, I always told my students, hey, you know, you walk away, go do your stuff. If any questions you ever have, if my notes aren't clear, if anything I said wasn't clear, contact me. Mm -hmm. said, I've never had anybody abuse that. That's right. Uh, the most anyone ever contacted me was five times over a period of two years. Well, that's terrible. All and, those people, what are they thinking? <laughs> and they always call me with interesting problems. I, I like solving interesting problems. So, right, right. Uh, and I, if I can help them, it's great. If not, I get them a name of a person that can help. Well, that's that's the power of some of the networking and what you've built up is that you're the right person to call first because you probably know somebody that's answered it already. You probably know who can help you with that. Yeah. Absolutely. Now. Listen carefully for those who are listening. I'll give my contact information. Well, I'll, I'll put it all in the show notes so they can go to uh, reliability.fm and see it pretty clearly. It's, okay. it's hard to catch all that stuff on, on here. Understand them, then Fred will okay. take care of it, but it's the same phone number I've had, same email address I've had for 20 years. AOL's been along for that long? Yes, and <laughs> uh, I've kept it because uh, 
it's easy. And I kept the same phone number for 20 well, years. Well, go ahead with the, the email. Let's do that. Finally changed it. The email, J-M-R-E-L. Jim McLean, reliability, R-E-L, the number two, at AOL.com. So there's another Jim McLean. They got the number one address? You would be amazed how many Jim McLeans there are out there, some <laughs> of whom are despicable characters. <laughs> so the Google search on you might... Does it find you? It, it'll find me. It'll find James M. N. McLean and James T. McLean. They've caused me a problem over my life. Oh, okay. We'll leave that for another day. They be... could also be family, distant family members. Uh, okay. One or two of them could be. We could okay. be. All right. Well, interesting. Well, appreciate it, Jim. Appreciate and and for and I mean you've contributed to a large degree. To, behind the scenes i mean there's some papers and some you know you've been in front of leading committees and chairs and 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 chapter presidents and all kinds of things but the i think the real value you've given to this reliability world is is the the, the making the connections and putting people together so appreciate that yes and i like doing that it's fun and it helps people with their careers it helps them solve problems um, all sorts of things and uh, easy to do for those of you out there listening a couple of you might catch on to that yes it's fun um, you build up a good uh, group of people and, uh, you keep on having fun that's important that's true well well thanks much Jim. appreciate you joining me today yeah. right, Fred, thanks for having me and glad to share this non-technical <laughs> no problem good appreciate it <laughs>